Welcome to the Highland Sermon Podcast, where we share with you the sermons that are preached by the pastors at Highland Community Church in Kokato, Minnesota. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the podcast so that you will be notified when new episodes are available. Let's get into this week's message. My name is Tim Ahmed. I'm one of the elders here at Highland, and I'm, I'm really excited to bring the word to you today. Um, Dale had said, you can preach on anything, so I got to pick this verse. And uh, it's John 7, 37 to 39. I'm going to read it. It says, now on the last day of the festival, Hushana Rabbah, Yeshua, Jesus, I'm reading from a complete Jewish Bible. It's good. It's good. Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him keep coming to me and drinking. Whoever puts his trust in me, as the scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from his inmost being. Now he said this about the Spirit, whom those who trusted in him were to receive later, because the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. When you, when you think of rejoicing, stories in the Bible of somebody just going nuts, rejoicing, praising God, what do you think of? Any stories? Oh, yes. I hear David. Right. David, the story, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 6, Right. It says that David brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And it says, David danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the Ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpet. What do you think that looked like? What does it look like to dance for the Lord with all your might? I thought about maybe demonstrating what I think that would look like. But alas, I don't think I want my children to disown me. So I'm not going to do that. Unless, is there any volunteers? And, and you know, afterwards, David's wife, Michael, or Michelle, I think it's Michael, uh, said to David, Wow, you really distinguish yourself today how you disrobed yourself in front of the maidens of Israel like a fool would do. It it leaves not much room for imagination, does it? We get a picture. That's what it looked like for David to dance with all of his might. Or how about uh, the story in Luke chapter 10? I think of this one a lot, actually. It says that uh, Jesus had appointed 72 disciples. He had a big group of disciples. And he sent them out two by two. And when he, let, when he sent them out, he told them, cleanse the lepers, heal the sick, cast out demons, as well as a, few, as a number of other things. You're going out like sheep among wolves and tell people when you go there, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And so they went. And they came back. And, they, and the text says that they came back jubilant. They were so excited. And you know what, what they said to Jesus? 
Even the demons have to listen to us. Now, how do you picture Jesus responding? His words were, I saw Satan fall out of heaven like lightning. He said, I have given you authority over everything. Nothing's going to hurt you. You're going you're to trample on snakes and scorpions. But he said, and I picture him kind of calming them down a little bit. He said, but, but don't be glad that the, the demons have to listen to you. Be glad, what? That your names are written in the book of heaven. Be glad for that. And then it says, Jesus was full of joy in the spirit. I mean, and, he, and, he, and, he, and then he, he breaks out into prayer in front of everybody. I thank you, God. You have revealed these things to the children, to the uneducated. You have hidden them from the wise and the learned. He, I mean, I picture him being super excited. And then, it's, and then he, he pulls his 12 disciples aside, says he pulled them aside privately. He said, I tell you the truth. Prophets and kings of old have wanted to see the things that you're seeing, but they didn't see it. They wanted to hear the things that you're hearing, but they didn't hear it. I love that story. I love that story. He was full of joy in the Spirit. How about this one? What we just read. On the last... And the greatest day of the feast. What do you think of in terms of rejoicing? On the last and greatest day of the feast. Anything? Right? Me too. When I first heard this story, I really, there's no connection to rejoicing for me. But if you were someone in Jerusalem in Jesus' day, if they would have heard you say, on the last and the greatest day of the feast, they would have known the connection immediately. In fact, for many, if you use that phrase, they would have known that you were referring to what they called the season of our rejoicing. The last and the greatest day of the feast refers to the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is a holiday. It's still celebrated every fall. This year, it will land on October 9th through the 16th. God had commanded the nation in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 13 through 17. He said this, and I don't think it's on the screen. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days. After you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press, be joyful at your feast. Isn't that interesting? God commanded them. It's the only festival. God commanded the people to be joyful. You, your sons and daughters, your men servants and maidservants, and the Levites, the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns, for seven days celebrate the feast to the Lord. Your God will, I'm sorry, celebrate the feast of the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands and your joy will be complete. Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose. At the, fe and at the feast of unleavened bread, 
the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. No man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. So because of the command of God for all participants to make the pilgrim to Jerusalem three times a year, the city was packed with people, absolutely packed. And as part of this festival, if you were a, a, a sojourner, a pilgrim into the city, and you didn't have a place to stay, you would build a booth, a little makeshift shelter out of specific plants. The city was immensely crowded. The historian Josephus approximated that there were over 3 million people in Jerusalem during this celebration. Josephus also says that the, quote, the rejoicing would get so loud that it could be heard in Bethlehem, which is five and a half miles away. There was one event during this week that would be the loudest. It happened on the morning of the last and the greatest day of the feast. It was called the drawing out of the water. In the Talmud, a rabbi is quoted as saying, he who has not seen the rejoicing at the place of the water drawing has never seen rejoicing in this life. And here's how the drawing out of the water took place. Every morning during the week, the Feast of Tabernacles, prior to the morning sacrifice, a trumpet would sound. Do we have the map? A trumpet would sound. Yay. A trumpet would sound and a priest would leave out of the water gate. The water gate, it's on the southern, it's down here kind of by the pool of Shalom. Okay, it's not on this map, is it? He would leave there and he would make a track over to the pool of Shalom with a golden pitcher in his hand and it was empty. The pool of Shalom was huge. It was just discovered in 2004 by accident. They were digging a sewer and they found what they now know to be the pool of Shalom. They discovered one side of it. They decided not to uncover all of it. And one side of it is 225 feet long. <clears throat> it is fed by the Gihon Spring, which is a natural spring, and is the only source of water for Jerusalem. It had been, for, at, at Jesus' time was, the only source of water. And the Gihon Spring fed into the pool of Siloam. When the priest would leave the water gate, he would go to the pool of Siloam and he would take his empty golden pitcher. He would scoop it and fill it with water. And he would make his way to the temple. As we heard when we read Deuteronomy, the feast was tied directly to the harvest. It took place right after the harvest, hence the rejoicing. But there was further meaning. The water drawing was also an indication of blessings to come. It had both physical and spiritual significance to the people, to the people at the time. One of the verses that would often be quoted was Psalm 118, 25. Hosanna, save us. Save us, O God, we beseech you. Please, God, save us. Over and over they would sing and they would chant. 
the people were looking for what was called latter rain. If there was no rain, the spring would dry up. If the spring dried up, the pool would dry up. If the pool dried up, there would be no water to scoop, and the priest would have an empty pitcher. All this time, the priest was making his trek back to the temple. The people were going crazy. They, would be, they were rejoicing. They were praying. They were thanking God for the harvest, and they were asking God, please give us water so, we ha- so the, the ground is ready for the next harvest. There was also a, very, a deep spiritual connection. The people associated this festival with the Messiah. Many believed the Messiah would show himself during the Feast of Tabernacles. They also believed it would be a time when they would pour out the Holy Spirit, when God would pour out his Holy Spirit. The idea of the Spirit being poured out on all flesh is not new. It was not new to the people at this time. We read it in Joel. Joel prophesied, there's going to come a day when the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. The people were anticipating this, and this ceremony was a big part of that. When the priest would get into the temple, there was an altar, there was a raised platform, and he would ascend the altar. And when he would get to the top of the altar, everybody would be quiet. That was their cue. They would just go silent. And they would wait to see if water was going to come from the pitcher. And so the high priest would come up, he would ascend the altar, and they would be quiet, and then he would raise the pitcher above his head. And he would pour out the water into the bowl on the altar. And the people would erupt. This is, this, this is what Josephus says they heard in Bethlehem. They would erupt in praise for God. God had blessed them. He had poured out his water. They knew that the harvest was coming. They also knew that something was going to happen with the Holy Spirit. And here's this rabbi. Now, let me just say, the text doesn't say that Jesus, that this is the exact time that Jesus stood up when the priest did his the ceremony. But it does make sense, and all, the, all of the scholars that I read say the same thing. There's only one time that he could have said that and the people would have heard him. It was at the pause. It's the only time. And you see, right afterwards, the text says, many people believed in him. They said, this has got to be the Messiah. He has got to be a prophet. And the guards, they couldn't arrest him. Why? Because then they said to the, the, the chief priest, nobody speaks like this guy. There's nobody like him. Jesus knew what he was doing. And the crowd erupted. There's so much symbolism in the ceremony that it's not difficult, really, to see what Jesus was doing. 
On the very surface, we can see Jesus is using the imagery of the water gathering to say, you're looking for water, and here I am. Come to me. It's a truth Jesus had been proclaiming for two and a half years. This feast, Jesus had likely celebrated all of his life. In about six months is when he was going to die. This was in the fall. He dies in the spring during the feast of Passover. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. His message did not waver. He was always telling people, I'm your answer. Come to me. That was his message, and the people knew it, and many believed. They didn't scoff at him when he made his proclamation. The text says that they believed. But looking deeper, and I want to, there's a, there's a profound truth here, but it's a little bit hidden. And you know, isn't it amazing? One of my favorite verses is Proverbs 26, verse 2. Anybody else know it? It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the honor of kings to search it out. God hides things on purpose. And you can even see in nature, what are the things that have the most intrinsic value? Gold. It's under the ground. You want it, you got to dig for it. God hides things. So, with that in mind, when Jesus spoke, he starts with the words, if anyone, if anyone, right? And he ends with, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Can we first notice, what did Jesus not say? This is a Jewish festival. Many millions, literally, of Jewish people at this festival. What did he not say? He did not say, Hear, O Israel, if only you would come to me and drink from me. He didn't say that. He said, If anybody comes to me, whoever believes in me, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Who was required to be at the feast? We see it in Deuteronomy. Everybody in Israel was required to be there. The men servants, the maid servants, the aliens, the widows, the father. There's nobody that has an excuse to not go to this feast. I wonder if Jesus knew that. I wonder if he knew that everybody would be there. And I wonder if he wanted everybody to know this is open to everyone. Anyone who comes to me, I will deny nobody. And the symbolism keeps going. And if you remember, the Gahan Spring fed the pool of Siloam. They were asking God to give them a harvest. And what did Jesus say? He said, if you come to me and drink from me, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. He totally flipped it. You're drinking from the pool, it's fed by the spring. But don't you understand? My way is, if you drink from me, I will make you the spring. I will make you the spring. Now, 
It's kind of crazy because Jesus says, and, and this is crazy to us um, Westerners, I think, because he says, as the scripture says, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Where's that found? It's not. You can't find it in the Old Testament. That, those words verbatim are nowhere in the Old Testament. But the concept is everywhere. This is the concept. If you live for God, you will have a productive life. Following God will change you from a consumer to a producer. Salvation turns a person from being a taker to a giver. It's all over. We read it, we've read it in Isaiah numerous times. Thank you, Pastor Dale. We've been there for a couple of years now, I think. Maybe a couple more, I'm not sure. Listen to these words from the book of Isaiah, chapter 51. It says, in regards to those who pursue righteousness, he will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Lord, joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the sound of singing. Or in Isaiah 58, verse 11 says, the results of salvation will be, you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. My wife and I just endeavored, we planted a garden. Actually, she did most of it. She did all of it. What am I saying? She bought two four-by-eight, four-foot-by-eight-foot raised garden bed plastic things and, and planted tomatoes, onions, cabbage, lettuce, peppers, and more. Some marigolds in there, too. It's really pretty. She did a fantastic job, and recently we've been enjoying the fruits of it. Just yesterday, I had some wonderful, wonderful little baby red tomatoes, and they are fruit. But I know what will happen in a few months if we don't harvest anymore. They'll go to waste. Some will fall to the ground and some will stay on the vine, but all of them will eventually rot. Gardens are meant to be harvested. And Jesus was reminding the people, You're come, if you come to me, you will be a life giver. It's not about you. It's not about safety and security. It's not about coming to Jesus and all of a sudden it's all about me. Thank you, God. You've just given his way has always been and will always be that when he brings life, it is meant to be poured out. If I change your life, I'm going to make you to a spring, not a pool. What did, look at what he talked he talk to the woman at the well. He said, if you'd come to me and drink from me, I will give you water that will last forever. And what did she go do? Immediately. She went to the town and told everybody. And they all believed in Samaria. It had a, it had a result. There was a result. She did something. There was fruit that people came to this well-watered garden. That's what Isaiah was saying. A well-watered garden bears fruit. And people come and they take of it. And it's a wonderful thing. If you're following along in your notes, my first, my first point was um, 
of rejoicing like no other. The second one is mystery of the ages. Now, this is where, this is hidden just a little bit in Jesus' pronouncement when he said, if anyone, it's universal, not just for the Jew. Do you know that that is an extreme mystery? That the Jew and the Gentile together would build God's kingdom. Amen? It's a mystery. It's an amazing mystery. I mean, okay. Do you, do you ever... Do you ever wish you could see behind the veil, like between the supernatural and the natural? Like, would, would it be cool to see like angels and demons flying around? I don't know. I'm not totally sure. I have a friend who has a friend who says that they can do it and they don't like it. It's very hard to watch. I think I've, I, I don't think I've seen any angels. My wife is pretty sure she has. We know in the Bible that that angels do visit us. But if they do, they're more than likely going to appear in the flesh, right? Sometimes we have entertained angels unaware. And there's stories in the Bible about angels and demons, and I believe it. I just don't think I've ever seen any. But I wonder. It would be kind of cool. maybe. But do you know that angels and demons, they like to, they watch us, and they're amazed at us. They are amazed at what we do. Now, not to, not to say that we're so amazing. People aren't so amazing. But it is amazing what God does with people like you and me. And they are amazed at it. Like you and me, we're, we're really forgetful, right? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I mean, can I get an amen? And yet God uses us to bring about his purposes. This is what Paul was talking about in Ephesians chapter 3. Mystery of the ages. Have you seen it? Have you seen it in Ephesians chapter 3? Paul said this thing has been hidden for ages to come, from ages in the past, but is now being revealed. And when these when and it is being revealed to principalities and rulers of the air, and they look at that, and they see the manifold wisdom of God. I've lost my spot in my notes. But it is the mystery of the ages, the church. Nobody thought that God would do it that way. And God was so amazing that he hid it all this time. And now we come to us. I'm going to move from that, from the story of the Feast of Tabernacles, into um, my last point, uh, the, the application. Um, and uh, on, on your outline, I think, can we go to that, 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 that slide? Yeah. Give and receive. And uh, this, is, this is, I wanted to, to get here. <laughs> um, this is a, a verse. You know, years ago, my, my sister... Tirza sent me a Bible when I was in the Navy, and uh, I still have it, and it is just beat up. But uh, I, I remember it pretty distinctly because I had several outlined, um, and I put the word, um, just uh, um, statement of the faith, statement of faith, right? Just very, ba- what I was doing was very basic verses that were like really simple. I'm kind of, 
I'm kind of a simple guy. Like, I get lost sometimes in really lofty concepts. And um, I remember in Ecclesiastes it says, of the writing of many books, there is no end. Can I get an amen? Right? But here's the end of the matter. Fear God, keep his commands. Yes, I can relate there. Okay. Fear God, keep his commands. And I had it underlined. And, this, and there's, an, there's several others, but this verse that I wanted to bring us to this morning is like that. It's one of those just like rubber meets the road, very practical. I can do this. It's, it's found in 1 Peter chapter 4. And, and I'm thinking mostly about the magnificence of the church. The mystery of the church, Jew and Gentile together bringing about God's kingdom. And I'm amazed at what Peter says. Did I give you that slide of 1 Peter 4? Okay. Peter starts, he says, the end of all things is at hand. And when you, hear, when you read that, do you think end of the world? Because I do. What did he mean by that? The end of all things is at hand. Literally, now this is a Bible, this is a, if you're a, if you're a scholarly type, you might really like this verse because there's a pretty big debate about how old, or I should say, when the Bible was written. And because of this verse, I'm really inclined to believe that the Bible, all books, were written before 70 AD. And why would you say that? Why why do you suppose that is? No book in the Bible ever mentions the destruction of the temple. And the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. And you know, the people knew that something was going to happen. They knew 70 AD was a major date, a major year. And Peter thought, I think it's the end. And he says, the end of all things is at hand. Something's coming. He probably wrote this in like 67, 68. Be ready. And what was his advice? To the church. And this is really what's on my heart also as an exhortation to my brothers and sisters here today, to you today. Here's my exhortation. Don't go to the next verse. He said, first off, be sober-minded and pray. Have a clear mind. See what's going on around you so that you can pray. And guess what? Our prayers are effective. They do stuff. They do. God said, you don't have because you don't ask. He didn't say, you don't have because it's not my will for you to have it. He said, you don't have because you don't ask. You want something? Ask for it. Ask for it with the right heart and I will give it to you. Pray. You want something to change? Pray. You know what? In this climate, this political climate of, in our country, I don't know who's right and I don't know who's wrong. I feel like I'm being tugged both ways. My prayer is, God, thwart the plans of the enemy. Just thwart them. Thwart them, God. That's like all I can come up with, it seems like. When I'm really going after it, I'm like, God, just thwart the plans. He wants to kill us. He, wants, he, he could kill us from right or left. Thwart the plans of the enemy, God. I am not going to believe that we're just que sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. No way. No way. Pray. That's what Paul says. Be clear-minded and pray. And then he says, this is rubber meets the road stuff right here. 
Now you can do the next verse. Love one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Man, if we could grasp that, huh? I am so offended by you right now, but I'm going to choose to love you. Covers a multitude of sins, that love. And finally, he says, and I don't know how I am with time here, but I'll be done shortly here. But please listen. Um, so, hospitality, right? Hospitality. It's not a gift. If you were to look through lists of spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians, wherever, it's not a list. Or I'm sorry, it's not a, it's not a gift. It's a command. We are all to be hospitable without grumbling. And it's interesting, isn't it? Why would Peter have to put that in there? Yeah, I can tell you why. It's not easy. I'm sick of people. Right? Come in, eat my food, wreck my stuff. Don't care, sleep over. Amen? All right, I got Yes. Yes. Without grumbling. Do it. It's not an option. I don't have the gift of hospitality. No, it's not an option. It's, it's, you can't use that excuse. And then in that context of hospitality, having people into your home. And you know what? The scripture doesn't say that have people into your home. It says be hospitable. And uh, maybe it's a camper outside of your home. As each has received a gift, how is this not related to the Holy Spirit of God that indwells you? He basically puts it into two categories. Speaking or doing. If you have a gift of Serving, do it as good stewards of God's very grace. Some of you are gifted. God pours out his grace not equally. Uh Uh-oh. He doesn't do it equally. Do it according to what you have. You can serve a little bit, serve a little bit. And then, and then speaking. This is amazing to me. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Wow. How does that sit? When you speak to your brother and sister, imagine that it's coming from God. Because that is the truth, isn't it? Jesus said, if you come and drink from me, Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. The Holy Spirit of God comes and lives within us. And what we have in us is meant to give to others. And they need it. Brothers and sisters, we need each other. If you ask God for something, He's not going to just drop it out of the sky. He could have. He could have, right? God could have made it so that a square could fit into a round hole. Somehow, he could have done it. He didn't have to give us gravity either. That would be interesting. He could have said, you know what? If you walk and stand in front of a sycamore tree, 
and chant Lua, Lua, Lua four times, I'll provide for you that month. But he didn't. He said, I am going to indwell people, and they are going to build my kingdom. And the angels and the demons look on in amazement. Wow, look at that person. They got next to nothing. But they give everything they got. That, that brings God glory. Didn't Jesus say that? Let your light so shine before men that they would tell you how amazing you are. They will give glory to God in heaven, huh? Let's pray. Oh God, we love you. God, thank you so much for your spirit that lives within us. God, I ask and trust that you will take anything that was not of you. God, take it and get rid of it. God, we ask that you would plant in the hearts of all of us today, God, that we would be on more on fire for you today, walk more faithfully with you after today, God, we need you so bad. We need you, and we love you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Highland Sermon Podcast. If you would like to learn more about Highland Community Church, please feel free to visit our website, www.highlandchurchmn.com. Our website link is also available in the show notes of today's episode, along with links to our social media pages. Thank you for listening, and always remember this. You are loved.